Well, good morning, church. Man, isn't that awesome? That was a two-way street there. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, so for most of you all that know me, you know my name's Jeremy, but if you don't know me, my name's Jeremy. Uh, I get the privilege to lead uh, college ministry here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, and it's a, it's a humble privilege. It's also an honor and a humble privilege to be able to bring the word of our holy God to you this morning. Um, for those of you who know me, you also know I have a beautiful wife named Ariel. We've been married 11 years. Um, woohoo, you can whoop that. And we have two children. We have two children. Our four-year-old daughter is named Camille, and our son Clayton just turned two last Saturday. Um, so, um, we may have entered the terrible two stages. We're not really sure. Time will tell, right? And we have the manliest dog on the planet. We have a six-year-old Yorkie Poo named Hurley. Um, so, if, how many of y'all watch Lost, the TV show Lost? One of the, one of, one of the best shows ever. Um, in any event, one of the largest characters on that show physically, what, you know, physical stature was named Hurley. So, to represent him, we bought the smallest, girliest dog on the planet and named him Hurley. Um, he hasn't really toughened me up or himself up, even having that name. But, as the father of a four-year-old, I hear the, the question, why, a lot, um, I mean a lot. So any of y'all ever been a parent of a four-year-old or if any of y'all have ever been a four-year-old, you may know what I'm talking about, right? All right. So like with Camille, it's like, honey, you got to go brush your teeth. Why? Well, because you, you want to keep your teeth. Um, honey, you need to go eat dinner. Why? Honey, you need to go to bed. Why, daddy? Why? And my all-time favorite is when you see her doing the potty dance, right? And for, um, just for everybody, I'm not going to do the potty dance for you. Y'all don't need to see that, but you know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen the potty dance. My daughter will be doing the potty dance. And essentially what the potty dance is, is it's your body saying, listen, you've got to make a choice. <laughs> you're either going to embarrass yourself or you're going to go to the potty, right? And you say, Camille, you've got to go to the potty. And in the middle of the dance, she's like, why? Why? And it's like, this should be really clear, honey. Why? Okay? Um, because there's been times we didn't make it all the time. And if you remember that, that's why we do this. Um, so most of you all have probably been in a situation where somebody's asked you why. And you've probably been also in a situation where you've been the one asking the question why. Over the past several weeks, we as a faith family have been going through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy in the church of Ephesus. And he is, uh, you got to think about, okay, so the church in Ephesus, what was going on? Well, the church in Ephesus was a small group of believers, very small group, okay? And they are located in the area of Ephesus, Okay, Ephesus is largely a pagan culture, a pagan culture, predominantly um, pagan. It's not built on biblical truth. Um, the, the Christians in the church of Ephesus are the religious minority, religious minority. And not only is the culture predominantly pagan, there's teachers within the church or there's people within the church church who desire to become teachers. They're desiring to become teachers, but they don't have a firm grasp just yet on the word. And because they're wanting to be teachers, they go ahead and they start to teach, and they're teaching false doctrines. False doctrines that are rooted in Jewish law. Rooted in, they start to teach these false doctrines regarding marriage and eating certain foods and having certain mystical experiences. So Paul is instructing Timothy to stay in the church of Ephesus and to lead them in truth and sound doctrine. 
So, so far over the past several weeks, we've gone through, um, we've gone through the first chapter of Timothy where Paul was emphasizing um, to the church. He places a strong emphasis on correct biblical doctrine. And then we get to chapter 2 and Paul's placing an emphasis on praying for all people, including their leaders, their secular leaders, their political leaders. He also places a, a strong emphasis on there being unity within the body of believers, the, the church in Ephesus. Later on in chapter 2, Paul lays out specific gender-based roles for leaders in the church, for brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, we discussed this last week, Paul writes about godly living and qualifications for leaders such as elders and deacons. And over the past few weeks, you may have been asking why. Why? Why is Paul given these specific instructions to the church in Ephesus? Have you all ever wondered about why we hold firm to biblical truth? Why we say, well, we don't, well, we don't wiggle much from what's in God's word, especially when we live in a culture that is not primarily rooted in biblical truth? Especially in a culture that does not see Christianity as the only way to God? We live in a culture today that places the basis of truth on the individual. That's called relativism. And what relativism is, is what it's saying is what's true for me may not be true for you. And your truth may not be my truth and it's okay. And we see arguments of relativism come up when we talk about issues such as religion, marriage, and sexuality. Any kind of absolute truth in those arguments of those issues is often seen as small-minded, as bigoted, and offensive. So today's passage, we're going to look at the why. This passage is going to answer the why we as a church, we as the body of Christ, hold on firm to biblical truths found in Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, please uh, open it up, turn it on, scroll down, whatever you need to do, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, or you don't have one with you this morning, you should be able to find one underneath your seat. Please take it as a free gift for you. We want you to have it and have your own personal copy of God's Word. So if you go to 1 Timothy three fourteen through 15, Paul writes this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and buttress of the truth. So Paul's explaining the purpose of his entire letter to Timothy, the whole book of 1 Timothy, is so that the church, the household of the living God, knows how to live according to God's word. Now the thing we don't want to be confused about here is Paul's not laying out a list of rules for the church just for the sake of having rules. He is listing out a list of ways that the church ought to live according to God's word, and he's doing this so is he's doing it for Christ's sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the name of Jesus. We're to live a certain way that tells the rest of the world that we have Jesus residing inside of us. That's what those rules are about. And he says, as the church, as the body of Christ, as the household of the living God, we are called to be the pillar and buttress of truth. I've got to be honest with you. I didn't know what a buttress was until this week. I was like, I don't even know how to say it. So I went to Google and uh, listened to Google say it, and it said buttress, so I'm sticking with it. And if you look at the definition in the Greek, 
of buttress and pillar, Paul's making an illustration here. And, and what a buttress is, a buttress, uh, it holds firm a building or a structure. It reinforces the foundation, okay? And a pillar raises it, lifts it up high. So you think about a pillar, like we're talking about a big building that has pillars on it. It raises the building high, the structure, the front of the, the building. So, so what Paul is saying is, as the church, we are called to hold firm, hold firm to the truth and proclaim the truth. So what is this truth that Paul is referring to? Well, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He, being Jesus Christ, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The mystery of godliness refers to the entire content of God and his revealed plan for salvation. The entire Bible points to who God is, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and the fact that God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. So, what is, so why does Paul refer to it as a mystery? Why does he call it a mystery? You thought about that? He's not referring to a, a Sherlock Holmes whodunit kind of movie, right? He's not saying it was Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the laboratory, right? He's not going that direction. What he's explaining is, is the truth of God's word was revealed first to the Jews by the person of Jesus Christ, starting with his disciples, And then Jesus gave his church, the household of God, the mission to share that truth that once was a secret, to share that truth of nations, to the Gentiles. That's why Paul refers to it as a mystery. And he uses the six lines in verse 16 to provide the church with a summary of the role that Jesus had in this reconciliation process. God reconciling all things to himself. Now we're going to talk about Hopefully, we'll get to those, all six of them. But I'll be honest, we're going to camp out in a few of them. A few of them that um, I've been convicted of this week and that are important for our church to have a foundation on. And um, we'll go from there. So the first truth is Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. So to understand the significance of that truth, we first have to understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You ever thought about that? Jesus created all things, but he didn't just create all things. He created everything for him. He created you for him. That's the purpose of your life is for Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, referring to Jesus, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so Paul's not saying that Jesus is one God of many gods. He's not saying that. He's saying he is the God. He is the creator. He is the holy king. He was once invisible, but now he has made himself known in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is God... Why would he put on flesh? Why would he do that? Jesus willingly became manifested in the flesh in order to reconcile the world to himself. John 1.14, referring to Jesus, John writes this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 6, 7, Paul writes this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God made himself visible. He entered our mess through the person of Jesus Christ. But to fully understand the significance of this truth, we first have to understand who we are apart from Christ and our desperate, desperate need for salvation. None of this is going to make sense until we have a grasp of this. So who were we? Well, first of all, we were all sinners. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, For all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word all in Greek, the definition of that is all. Two years of seminary taught me that. So all of us, we were born into a sin nature and we've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. And there's consequences to our sin. The first consequence is our sin has made us dead. Our sin made us dead. Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes, And you were dead in the, trespass, in, your, in the trespasses and sins. Folks, we were spiritually dead and indifferent to the things of God. We were dead to him. And we didn't care about him. And we were not pursuing him, church. He didn't manifest himself in the flesh because we were pursuing him, begging him to come down. No, we were still shaking our fist at him. And we were dead. The second consequence is our sin made us outcasts. Ephesians 2.12, Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were separated from God and having no hope. A holy creator who created us and gave us a world to flourish in, to live in, and to worship him. We turned our back and now we had no hope, church. But then Jesus Christ, the son of God, was manifested in the flesh. He stepped into our mess in order to die on a cross for our sins. Philippians 2.8, Paul writes this, And being found in human form, he, Jesus Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. The whole Bible points to Jesus. All 66 books point to Jesus and our need for Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus being manifested in the flesh in Isaiah 53, 2 through 7. Isaiah wrote it this way. For he grew up before him like a young plant, referring to Jesus, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Church, Jesus willingly forfeited his rights and privileges as king for our behalf. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus shed his innocent blood to be the propitiation of sin for us. In verse 6, 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Church, when you think about the crucifixion, a lot of times we think about Jesus on the cross shedding his blood. We think about him having his beard ripped out and being beaten and dying on a cross. But what I think we often don't think about is the fact that not only in his physical torture, he also spiritually received the wrath of God while on the cross. He received the wrath of God. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus took on our punishment. He took on the wrath of God for every sinner. Just imagine that. He didn't just do it for my sin and each individual's sin. Just don't think about it as one person. Anybody that's ever existed ever, anybody that will ever exist ever, Jesus took the wrath of God the Father, though he didn't deserve it, for us. Why did he do this? He did this because he came to buy you. He came to reconcile you to himself. He did it because he deserves our glory and he did it because he loves us. Church, if I don't hear an amen out of that, then we're going to have to go back again. So now, dead sinners can be made alive in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. And thank God that the beginning of this passage was not the end of the story, but there's a continuation But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace, by God's loving grace. Because of Christ, those who were once outcasts because of their sin can now be accepted into the household of God. But now in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.13, you were once You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus demonstrated his superiority over sin while manifested in the flesh. Point number two, in his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. So let's think about what vindicated means. It means justified. It means been made right, okay? So Jesus took on the punishment for our sin and died to death. We should have died, but not because he had it coming to him, not because he had sinned, not because he was a criminal, even though he died a criminal's death. He was completely innocent. And by his resurrection, the Holy Spirit vindicated him and set things right. In Romans 1, through, Romans 1 4, Paul says, and was declared to be the Son of God, referring to Jesus, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And during his resurrection, this is historical, okay? This wasn't just, and it wasn't just some sort of just a a spiritual just vision. He was resurrected in the flesh. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to Mary. He gave Peter the commission to be the pastor of the church, to feed his sheep, to shepherd his sheep. And he gave the disciples the great commission, go to all people of all nations, and there's a lot of significance to the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And I know you're probably sitting here thinking, well, 
If a dead man came to life, that's pretty significant. We already got that. But no, there's three specific things that make the resurrection so significant to our belief, to our foundation for salvation. Number one, the Holy Spirit affirmed Jesus' claim of deity. This proved that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus had been revealing to the disciples that he was the Son of God, that if you'd seen him, you'd seen the Father. And he also explained the fact that he would have to die on a cross, but he'd have the power to be resurrected, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He told them this was going to happen. His resurrection proved that he was the Son of God. His his resurrection also displayed his supremacy over death. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus' resurrection defeated death. And as the body of Christ, the household of God, we share in that defeat over death. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen through 22. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, we are of all people must be, most to be pitied. You understand that? If Jesus really wasn't resurrected in the flesh, we of all people in this world should be pitied the most because we're banking on an eternal life because our Savior died and rose for us. Paul's saying that. But in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. All die. We were all destined to die through Adam. So also as Christ shall all be made alive again. Jesus was manifested in the flesh to defeat sin. And he was vindicated by the Spirit to demonstrate that he was the one true Son of God who defeated death. Amen, church. And I'm going to go really quick through the next one. He was also seen by angels. We know this to be biblically true. He was seen at his birth. We know that in the book of Luke. He was seen at his resurrection, Matthew 28. He was also seen at his ascension. We see that in Acts. We also know that he was seen in heaven by the angels. We know that in the... Old Testament prophesies and shows us this in Psalms 24, 7 through 10. Just think about this as we read this in Psalms. They're, they're, the angels are singing to Jesus Christ. They, the angels understood he was the king of all kings, the creator, the one who would save us from sin and death. And this is what they say about Jesus. Psalms 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your head, Heads, old gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and let, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The angels declare Jesus Christ is king. The angels worship him. The angels know who he is. That's how we ought to also worship our holy savior. We should, as a church, as the body of Christ, we should know above anybody else that he is the one and true king, the only true God. That's why we're to proclaim among the nations the good news of Jesus Christ. And this word proclaim means to be known publicly, to be heralded, to be made known publicly and loudly. Loudly is a word. Um, And he says to proclaim it to the nations. So who are the nations? The nations were the Gentiles, right? So the Jews were the first ones to have the truth revealed to them, and they were to go proclaim the truth to all people of all nations. The gospel was not just for the Jewish people. The gospel was also for the nations. The gospel was and still is for all people of all nations. The gospel was for all people, even for people who wouldn't fit into our demographical structure. The gospel is for all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic class, or sin resume. Jesus created all of mankind in his image, and he is reconciling all image bearers back to himself. Jesus is creating a household of God, not a division of men. Church, can I say something this morning? As a church, as the body of Christ, as a household of the one true living God, there is no segregation. There's not separate bodies of Christ according to race, skin color, or ethnicity. There's not separate bodies of Christ for those who are easy to get along with versus those who aren't. There are not separate bodies of Christ for those who are socially popular and those who are not. There are not separate bodies of Christ for those who are monetarily rich and those who are monetarily poor. There is only one body of Christ in which each member is a former outcast because of their sin, but have now been adopted by Jesus Christ, by the Father through Jesus We shouldn't look at other Christians who look different from us demographically or geographically and refer to them as those other people, those other Christians. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ if we know him. We shouldn't look at unbelievers who look different than us economically, geographically, demographically as those other people. They are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should pray for their adoption into our family. We see more than now, more than ever, this divide racially, this divide geographically, this divide politically, this divide economically. In Christ, we are one family church. We are the body of Christ And he has told us to go to all people of all nations. He's told us to have unity in the body. None of us are more deserving of our salvation than the other. We've all been adopted by our loving Father through Jesus Christ. We've been called to be one body church. This is our mission, to reach all people of all nations. And if you study your church history, you'll find out that it wasn't safe for the early church to proclaim Jesus Christ. It wasn't at all. Christians were, were persecuted by the Jewish leaders at that time. They were also persecuted by the Roman government. The Roman government, under the uh, Emperor Nero, 
they would be tortured for sport before they were executed. Can you imagine that? And it's tough for us to get our minds wrapped around that because we live in East Tennessee, right? But there's people all over the world who are being persecuted for their belief. In fact, many of the early missionaries died as a result of proclaiming Jesus Christ to the nations. Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was martyred. All but one of the disciples were killed for their faith. John was actually cast out on an island, and he was exiled. So if spreading the gospel was so dangerous for the early church, why did they do it? Why did they do it, church? Because Jesus told them to. Because Jesus, King Jesus, who showed his superiority over sin and death, told them to. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. God's plan for the church to grow was for the church to go. He started the church and he sent the church out. Romans 10, 14 through 17, Paul writes this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Church, hear me. There is people all over this world that are going to live a life, never hear the name of Jesus Christ. And they're going to die without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're going to die and go to hell and be eternally separated from Jesus Christ. God has called us. He's called us to go. To go and proclaim the good news for his glory and for their joy and for their salvation. That's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to come here and build up programs and have buildings and have all these different things, which those things are good because it's equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and that is good, and we praise God for those blessings. But the role of the church is to go out and spread the good news of the gospel, to explain that Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh and defeated sin, in his resurrection defeated death. He's reconciling all things to himself. The mission of the church is to go to proclaim that loudly to the world despite persecution despite what people are going to think about us, despite if it's going to cause us to be executed. Our supreme king that Paul is talking about here is giving the church the mission. Why did the early church proclaim the truth of Jesus to the nations? Because they believed in the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who was and is still reconciling all things to himself. They went because the king of the universe commanded them They went because they understood that it was the church's responsibility to uphold the truth and proclaim the truth to all people of all nations. And as a result of their going and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was believed on in the world. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, referring to Jesus, 
and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. The early church grew very, very quickly. The very first church service, if you will, at Pentecost, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. I think we'd celebrate that today. And that was by the power of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of his church. We even see Peter and John preaching um, in Solomon's Portugal, and 5,000 people came to know Jesus Christ that day. That day. Peter and John were arrested immediately afterwards and told never to speak the name of Jesus Christ again. What did they do? They went back, they prayed for boldness, and they went out and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preached the name of Jesus Christ. And how do we know that the early church continued to spread the gospel to go to all people of all nations how do we know that they continue to do that because we're sitting in seats here today you came to know jesus christ because somebody shared the gospel with you and generations before that and generations before that and generations before that and generations before that god continued to use the power of the holy spirit and his people to reach people it's not supposed to come to us so we can be saved and it stops with us no we're to proclaim it to the nations you hear all the time here at Tri-Cities, we're a church who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. We send people out to the nations. We have a church here in Johnson City. You want proof that we believe that our church is about, the, about people, about the lost. That's why our church is here today. That's the reason we're here in Johnson City. We're not here in Johnson City to see how many people we can just have in a room. We're not here just in Johnson City, just so Tri-Cities has a billboard out front. We are here in Johnson City to reach Johnson City, to the people in Johnson City. It doesn't, if we're, going to, we're out here to reach them, to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, to all people in this city, regardless of skin color, economic class, demographic, doesn't matter. Jesus is reconciling all people to himself. And we as a church are here for a reason, but we also send people out for that same reason. We know that Jesus after the resurrection, he was taken up in glory. But we also know that one day he'll return just as he left. You can read that in Acts 1. He'll be worshipped by all, and all will know that he is truly God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow for those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, that they that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world, and he's continuing to bring people to himself now. And he was taking, taken up in glory, and he's going to return in glory, church. This is the mystery of godliness that we hold up and we proclaim to all people of all nations. So why do we proclaim truth? Why do we uphold biblical truth? Here's the big why. So we've all been asking why. Why, why? It's because the author of truth, Jesus Christ, is reconciling all things to himself. He has called us, the church, the household of God, to uphold and proclaim the truth. He has chosen us to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all people of all nations. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on up.
And during the next few minutes of response, we call it, well, we call it a response time. So as you hear the music playing, I want you to, I ask you and invite you to be in prayer and ask you to have some self-reflection of your life. If you've never been reconciled to Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you were still dead in your trespasses, if you were still an outcast because of your sins, I ask you to place saving faith in Jesus Christ today. Accept him as your Savior so you can be made alive again, so you can be adopted into the household of God, so that you can spend an eternity with the God that loved you enough to be sent down to die on a cross for you. The God that defeated sin and defeated death. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are part of the household of God, you're part of the church. Think about where God is asking you to preach truth to yourself. What areas in your life are you not trusting God? What areas do you need the truth proclaimed to yourself? Who is God asking you to proclaim the truth to? Who has God laid on your heart for you to share the gospel with? For you to disciple? Friends, family, co-workers, classmates, neighbors. Where's God telling you to go? Is God calling you somewhere other than Johnson City? Is God calling you to a different city? Is God calling you to the nations? Search your heart this morning, church. And ask God to remove any kind of idols or barriers, any sin that's keeping you from holding firm the truth of God and proclaiming it to those who do not believe. Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, you defeated sin, you defeated death for your glory and for our joy. Dear Lord, you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords, you are supreme over all things. Dear Lord, even as we pray to you right now, you are upholding the planets and you are keeping us safe and you control all things. And yet you still have the power, the infinite power to hear our prayers this morning. You're still reconciling all people to you. Dear Holy Spirit, dear Lord, please convict us of any sin that we may have. Dear Lord, please show us where you want us to go and who you want us to go to. Dear Lord, in a world today where it's becoming more difficult to stand firm to your truth and proclaim the truth without persecution. Dear Lord, please give us boldness. Dear Lord, please give us a heart and a mind that truly sees you for who you are, that you're worth everything that you are the DNA of our church. Lord, do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our city. Do a work through churches across the world that may not even look like us if you stepped in the building. The Lord, for your purpose and for your glory, the Lord, to reconcile people to you, the Lord. The Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you, please bring them to you. The Lord, please allow us 
and work in us for us to be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.